Welcome to Aiming for the Moon. I am Taylor Bledsoe. And I'm Maddie Henry. And on this podcast, we interview interesting people from a teenage perspective. That's right. And today we'll be interviewing Walter Isaacson, who is the New York Times bestselling author of Steve Jobs, Leonardo da Vinci, Albert Einstein, Benjamin Franklin, as well as The Innovators. He has also written many other books, including his authorships. He is the professor at Tulane University. He has also held many prominent journalism positions. So here's the interview. So welcome, Professor Isaacson. It's great to have you here. You are the very, very well-known author of Steve Jobs, Leonardo da Vinci, Albert Einstein, Benjamin Franklin, as well as The Innovators. That's just some of the that's just some of the names of some of the biographies you've written. You've written tons of other books. So I just wanted to say thank you for coming on the podcast. Taylor, it's great to be with you. Yeah, it's very fun. So what are some of the traits that all of these innovators share in common? What are common traits of innovators? Well, the innovators I've written about have all shown curiosity, whether it's Leonardo da Vinci, who yeah, every time he walks around town, tries to figure out why the light glints off of a leaf a certain way, or why the water spirals, and that helps inform his art. Likewise, Steve Jobs had an insatiable curiosity. And I find that curiosity is a trait that all of us can have. We all had curiosity when we were kids, and then sometimes it got beaten out of us by grown-ups who would say, quit asking so many silly questions. Uh, But if we could just keep our childhood curiosity, I think we could all be very innovative. And to me, that's the most important trait. It's very interesting because all of these people have revolutionized the world in some way or the other. And it's interesting that what you attribute that to curiosity, I'm sure it also has to do with their work ethic and other things. But I find that very fascinating that it's the fact that they are willing to learn more about the world around them. And they like, and they're curious about every aspect of nature and existence. They care about the arts and the humanities, as well as the science and engineering. I think that ability to stand at the intersection of the arts and the sciences, to stand at that intersection of where the humanities meets technology, that's what makes them all so great. That's what uh, Leonardo da Vinci's famous drawing of Vitruvian Man, the guy in the circle in the square. It's all about connecting science to the humanities. And likewise, whenever Steve Jobs launched a new product, the final slide of his presentation was the intersection of the arts and technology. He said, if you stand at that intersection, that's where creativity occurs. That's really interesting because that's a subject that we've explored a lot on this podcast. We had David Epstein on, who was the author of a book named Range. And he talked about how basically what you were just saying, a lot of people who are successful have some mix of specialties, whether at Hopkins, for example, an author that we talked with, um, Professor John M. Barry of The Great Influenza, talked about how in his book, Hopkins, and a lot of the people collaborated across specialties. And that's how they developed a lot of their inno- um, innovative things. So I find that really fascinating. That seems to be just the fact that they love other things. 
along with um, technology or art or something like that, it seems to make them very successful. Leonardo da Vinci was uh, the, uh, the really great Renaissance man. And that's because he loved everything from anatomy to zoology, you know, from art to music to math. And it helped him see the patterns that ripple across nature. In other words, he could look at the mathematics of a spiral and he could also look at the spiral uh, of water going by a rock in a river. And then he could look at the curls of hair, like in the Mona Lisa. And he would see the patterns of nature that uh, were connected, whether they be connected in science or engineering or math or in art or in you know the beauty of, of a human. And uh, I think having that feel for all subjects, Ben Franklin certainly was a great scientist, a great engineer, a great inventor, but he was also a writer and a publisher and a you know, statesman and a politician. And so when he looked at the science of Newton with checks and balances and forces and, you know, uh, mass and acceleration, he realized uh, how that applied across things, including when they were writing uh, the Constitution, how you have checks and balances. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm curious to hear your perspective about this. So I know that a lot of nowadays in education, at least to our generation, teenagers, Gen Z and millennials, a lot of it hasn't been focused very broadly. It's been every now and again, we'll dig really deeply into STEM or something. And and a lot of it's just kind of on the surface. How do you think that'll affect our culture? And do you think that's a problem or what's your perspective on that? I think it's very important for a new generation to embrace both science and math with a deep curiosity. Uh, I mean, science, math, but also the humanities and the arts. And to do it with a deep curiosity. People of my generation sorted themselves out and they were either scientists, at which point they didn't spend a whole lot of time worrying about Shakespeare, or they were humanists, you know, and they loved the arts and the humanities but they would uh, readily laugh about not understanding science or math. But I think the people who are going to be truly creative are those who have a foot, who have a foot in both camps. So I read your, um, your book, Steve Jobs, as well as your Albert Einstein book. And I find, I found it fascinating that Steve Jobs took, I believe it was a calligraphy class and that kind of led him, inspired him to create MacBooks in a very, elegant kind of manner, not um, kind of more bulky and tech uh, technology centered as a lot of the stuff was during his um, era. So I find that very fascinating that as just you're saying that they had this intersection between humanities and technology. When Steve Jobs was in college and even after he dropped out of college, as you said, Taylor, he took courses in dance and calligraphy and poetry and music. And of course, he understood computer science and coding, but what made him different from other engineers of the beginning of the digital revolution, the personal computer revolution in the 1970s, was that he had a very simple idea, which is that beauty matters. And he believed beauty matters because he loved everything from the beauty of dance to the beauty of calligraphy and the way letters were made. So when he creates the first... um, computer, especially the Macintosh, you know, which he creates in the early 1980s, 
he makes sure that the screens are made so that they can do different fonts and different types of lettering and writing. And he makes sure that the Macintosh is in a totally beautiful case. He looked at Cuisine Art Machines uh, at you know a department store to figure out how the case should be curved and feel simple and beautiful. And that's why he was able to create things from the Macintosh to the iPod that other computer makers and music maker, you know, uh, player makers were making their own things, but they didn't have beauty. They didn't speak to us. They didn't, you know, touch us in our soul and become objects of desire. And, you know, it's, as I say, a pretty simple formula, beauty matters. So I'm curious again, um, Albert Einstein is very well known for what he's done in physics. What was his, did he have like a humanities that he focused on? I know he played the violin, but did he do anything else? Uh, You have a picture of Einstein I see on your wall. Um, Yes, he played the violin. He loved Mozart. And when he was doing the theory of general relativity, which is probably the most beautiful theory ever created in science, uh, whenever he was stumped, he would pull out his violin and play Mozart because he said that by playing Mozart, it helped reconnect him to the harmony of the spheres. In other words, the harmonies that exist in the universe. And he believed that any theory had to, in some ways, be beautiful. Um, In fact, after he does the theory of general relativity, it takes another 10 years before they fully prove him to be correct. And, when they ask him, what if the experiments on the eclipse that proved him correct, it turned out differently. He said, I would have felt sorry for the good Lord because the theory is too beautiful not to be true. And indeed, he imagined himself looking at the brushstrokes that the good Lord would use to paint the universe and, and, and having a sense of which of those brushstrokes would be the most beautiful. That is very fascinating. From your book, I was reading about him and he became quickly one of my heroes because of his very interesting things that he's done. So thanks for that and giving me more insight into one of the one of the people in history that I really admire. Well, if you can admire Einstein and Steve Jobs and Ben Franklin and Leonardo, you're, you know, you and your listeners uh, are certainly on your way to understanding why the connections between arts and the humanities uh, with the sciences and technology really matters. Yes, sir. So what do you think our listeners can learn from these people's success? We've been talking about this, but I wanna kind of hit the nail on the head here and drive the point home. So what is maybe one or two um, traits that these innovators have had that you think our listeners would benefit from knowing or learning? Well, I think to be curious, as I said, but part of being curious is being observant. We all walk down the street and we'll look up today, for example, at how blue the sky was today, just a gorgeous blue. But most of us don't pause and say, let me observe the blueness of the sky and then do uh, the question, why is the sky blue? What makes it blue? Now, the interesting thing about that question is it's in Leonardo da Vinci's notebook. 
He writes that. What makes the sky blue? 500 years ago, he writes that. And he does experiments where he sprays water and purified water and regular water in the air, shining light through it, and tries to figure out what's causing the sky to be blue. But not only did Leonardo do that, Benjamin Franklin wondered why the sky was blue. And Albert Einstein, in his notebook, he says, you know, he writes a paper on why is the sky blue. Certainly more sophisticated than Leonardo da Vinci's. He talks about what's called Lord Rayleigh's formula and how particles can scatter light. But all of them have a basic curiosity about something you and I see, you know, many days of the week, and yet we don't pause to be curious about it. And my next book is about a woman named Jennifer Doudna, who was curious about the way bacteria fight viruses. And she ends up creating a tool for editing genes and for fighting coronavirus. And it was just that basic curiosity about science, about how do bacteria fight viruses. She wasn't doing it to do an invention. She was studying it simply out of curiosity. It is very interesting how many um, great technologies can be developed from just curiosity, as it seems that from what you're saying, uh, almost all of our innovations in the modern world have come from people just saying, hey, why is the sky blue or how can I change genes? It's, it's really interesting, actually. Yeah, I think you have to have a passion to pursue your curiosity. But, you know, in some ways, Steve Jobs had a very stubborn passion Leonardo da Vinci, on the other hand, was always distracted and, you know, never sometimes didn't finish his projects. So there's not one simple way to do it. But, you know, the most important thing is to understand the beauty of creation and then be curious about how it happens. And then eventually you'll find ways to apply the discoveries that you make. So these are the last two questions that we ask all of our guests. And the first one is, what books have had an impact on you and why? In terms of uh, novels and fiction, I loved Walker Percy's The Movie Goer. You know, he was uh, from Louisiana and he wrote about the search, he called it. And in some ways that goes to what we were saying, which is every day, you should realize that you're a seeker, that you're a searcher, that you're trying to understand creation, which is a mysterious thing. Why does creation exist and what is our role in it? That's what Leonardo tried to figure out when he did all of his science, but also drew Vitruvian Man. And that's what Walker Percy was trying to do in The Moviegoer, a work of uh, great literature. In terms of science books that I've loved, I love The Double Helix. Uh, that's James Watson's book about the discovery of the structure of DNA. And when I was a child in New Orleans, my father gave me that book. And even though I didn't become a research scientist, it showed me that science is a beautiful detective story and very exciting. And so in my next book, The Code Breaker, about Jennifer Doudna and uh, gene editing, I begin with her as a child, having been given the double helix by her own father and how that created in her a sense of the detective story that is nature. And of 
course, it leads to her winning the Nobel Prize last October. Those both sound like inspiring and incredible books that we'll definitely have to check out. So our last question is, what advice do you have for teenagers? I think that you should not uh, get narrowed. You should not lose your curiosity. You shouldn't let people say, just memorize what's going to be on the test or quit asking so many silly questions. You should um, drill down, go down rabbit holes, get distracted and try to learn many different things. If you're a scientist, make sure you take a music course. You know, if you're somebody who's studying uh, literature, Try, try your hand at a physics course. Don't throw up your hands and say you can't do math because math is hard. An algebra equation is hard to figure out, but so too is a line of poetry. Like, you know, Lord Byron writes, she walks in beauty like the night. It's a beautiful line of poetry. You have to visualize it, but it's hard to figure out what it means at first. Likewise, a mathematical equation can be hard to figure out at first, but you can visualize it. So if you love math, make sure you start reading some Byron's poetry. And if you love Byron's poetry, make sure you don't abandon the fact that math is beautiful too. So don't be one-sided. Make sure you explore both sides of the equation, so to speak. A hundred sides of the equation. There's, you know... Leonardo da Vinci referred to it as the infinite works of nature. You know, there's, there's not just one or two silos. Uh, make sure you don't get in any silos and just love the infinite works of nature. That is very fascinating. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been honestly an awesome pleasure to have you on because you're one of my favorite authors. Well, thank so, you thank so you much, again. Taylor. Thank you, Taylor, and thank you, Maddie. That was a fascinating interview. Honestly, I can't believe we got to talk to him because like I said during the interview, he is one of my favorite authors. I used to read his books and he's the one who inspired me to get interested in history. So I honestly can't believe we got him on. Thank you so much, Professor John M. Barry, who connected us. That was incredible. It was. As someone, I've never read one of his books, but now I really, really want to. I loved all of the stuff that he was saying about curiosity and how that you should be, like you said, be on two sides of the equation, be in math and be in poetry. And it was, I loved it. Yes, be on a hundred sides of the equations, as he said. Yes, So that's. Yes. It's really cool and it's very fascinating to learn the characteristics and traits that were shared between all of these very diverse but very influential people. Definitely. I wouldn't have pinpointed it to curiosity, um, but that's a really cool connection that I could, that's really fascinating that I could think about for a long time. And yeah, I think after we record this, I'll still be thinking about that. And because it's, I do that with all of our life advice that we get on this podcast, but it's interesting because he kind of, he's almost an expert on innovators, which is very funny saying, Um, but it's interesting because he would be the one who would tell us that. 
So I find that very fascinating that he could pinpoint one specific trait among several that has let that always led those people to success. It makes me want to go outside and just stare at the blue sky and do yes. my own experiments and see why the sky is blue. Yeah, I don't know if I'd be able to figure it out because I'm pretty sure people already figured that out. But yeah, it reminds me of actually Sherlock Holmes because Sherlock Holmes, um, if you don't know who that is, he's a famous English detective. I believe most people know who he is though. Um, he would always say that's one of the things that he would deduce things to solve mysteries. And he would always say observe because that's how he would figure things out. How many steps are in the stairs? How many scratches did you have in your boot as, um, today as opposed to yesterday? And it's interesting that any innovator, any person who has influence seems to always be curious and observant. It's definitely some food for thought. <laughs> for sure. And then we basically have been talking about his advice. It was, oh, it was be curious because that's kind of the trait that all those innovators shared. And it was be observant, as we've already mentioned. I just found that found that really fascinating. Oh, and it was also have range and basically study everything. And I think we talk about David Epstein's book a lot, Range, on this podcast. I think that's, it's very fascinating to me that a lot of people have recommended that advice. So I don't know, I guess it's, I guess we should follow it as Gen Zers and millennials or whatever. Who I don't know exactly the specific age range of this podcast, but as someone who is not particularly good and crazy skilled in science and math and crazy skilled in writing, but I can do all of it, it's very, very encouraging because <laughs> yeah. I enjoy it all. Yeah, it is. It's really awesome. Well, announcements. Um, obviously check out our website, aimingforthemoon.com. We have things called podcast logs there. And basically that tells about almost, we write about what it's like having a podcast, particularly how it affects our normal life. I recently wrote a podcast log, at least at the time of recording about how it's, how it is running a podcast and doing school at the same time. And Maddie wrote one. I'm not sure what it's about. What's yours about? It was about, it's hard to explain. It was about some of the key things that I found to be successful when you're doing a podcast. And if anybody's interested in starting a podcast to go and check that out, because it was really helpful to me. So I hope that you can take one of the four things I mentioned and that will be helpful for you. For sure. Follow us. We are on YouTube, Aiming for the Moon podcast. Uh, Make sure you type in podcast. Otherwise songs will come up. You won't be able to find our YouTube channel. And then we are on social media on Twitter and Instagram. And it's aiming the what? Sorry, the number four, the moon. Um, that's both on Twitter and Instagram. And then you, if you want to contact us, if you have guest recommendations, if you just want to say hi, our email is on our website at again, aimingforthemoon.com. So check us out there. We have pictures of the guests that we post and blog posts, episodes, stuff like that. So definitely go check us out there. This has been recorded during season two of Aiming for the Moon, and we have some very fascinating people coming up. I'm very excited to have them on. If you, I believe, I don't know when this episode will be coming out um, in relation to this, but we have some podcast hosts who are very well known that we will be interviewing, and that'll be coming up if it hasn't already. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, Do all the stuff, rate the podcast, review, share it with everyone, share it with your uncle, your grandpa, your aunt, anyone you know. And don't forget, 
Set your sights high. And aim for the moon.